Good morning, folks. It's great to see you. If you are our guest here today, you're so very, very welcome. My name's James. I lead the team here at New Community, and it's, uh, it's a joy to see you guys and to be with you again this morning. We're continuing, if you've got a Bible with you, we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. We've given this uh, series the title, Mark, A Journey with Jesus. And last week, we looked at the first 20 verses, repent, or if you were here, turn around, repent, believe, uh, and follow. This week, slightly less shouting maybe, uh, we're giving it the title, Mission Statement, kind of um, prior power and priorities. And uh, as we just talked about last week, as Mark takes us through, the, the, through his gospel, he reveals more of who Jesus is and more of what it is to follow him. And today we're going to look at a series of events that demonstrate the nature of his ministry. Verse 21 of Mark 1. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And they would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We'll just pause there for a moment. Old Testament, page one. God creates and everything is very, very good. Within a couple of pages... Man rebels and does what man always does and thinks he knows better and everything goes wrong. And as we looked at last week, God doesn't leave things there. He sets in plan, in motion, a plan to fix everything. And so as we begin the New Testament here in Mark 1, we see Jesus is here. And he's the one who's going to mend, who's going to heal, who's going to restore, and he's going to rescue. And he begins his ministry by calling people to follow him and then teaching like we saw here. Now, we're not told what Jesus actually taught. Mark kind of uh, doesn't include the content of what Jesus says very often. But he's already given us a summary. We kind of looked at it last week of the, of the teaching that Jesus brought. Verse 15 of, of chapter 1, the time is fulfilled, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe. Basically, all those promises of God find their yes and amen in me, says Jesus. I'm here, and I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to sort it all out. Now, Mark's not particularly interested in us knowing the details of exactly what Jesus taught. What he, wants, what he wants us to understand, what he wants us to really get is that when Jesus speaks, things happen. When Jesus talks, when Jesus opens his mouth, when Jesus proclaims things, when Jesus states things, when Jesus says things, stuff happens. And lives are transformed and people are amazed. 
And the reason is because he's not teaching someone else's words. That's why they were amazed here. These scribes here, they were kind of like local teachers. And the way they taught, what they taught, was what they'd heard other people teach. So they'd heard somebody smarter than them or further on than them say something. And that's then how they taught. But Jesus isn't like that. Because Jesus doesn't teach other people's words. Because Jesus is the word. Wow. People are amazed, not at what he said, but amazed because here is God himself, the word in their midst speaking and lives are being transformed. The words have power, his words have power because he's God. This word has power because Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it is living and active. Jesus says in Matthew 4 verse 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In John's gospel, he says, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So often we don't feel like we're free because we don't know the truth because we don't know the word. And Jesus reveals his power and his authority through his spoken word. Wow. Like the words of God. If Jesus was sitting here right now, we would be hanging off every word he says. Jesus is here right now by his spirit and he speaks to us. Yes, through his spirit, but through his word. It's why we need to get this thing in us. We need to know it because you know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But Jesus doesn't just speak truth. He then illustrates it. He he demonstrates it through his action. Look at verse 23. A man with a demon, an unclean spirit, comes and interrupts him. And again, the main focus in Mark is not the event. It's the meaning. It's not so much what's going on. it's, It's what it means. And Jesus illustrates his authority here. Now, we can sometimes read this wrong and think, wow, he cast out a demon. Of course, that's why they were amazed. No, they weren't amazed because of that. They'd often seen demons cast out. In fact, there was all sorts of different people like, I guess, exorcists, if you like, or magicians or kind of traveling powerful men who would come and cast out demons. And what they'd, I've been reading all about this week. It's really fascinating. And what, what they'd used to do is it's not actually a surprise that demons would flee, would come out of people, because often what they'd do is they'd get something really revolting, like a smell of some root or something, and shove it up the nose of the person who was unclean, who was demonized, in order to kind of freak out the demons, like, this is disgusting, I'm not staying here. Or they'd stand there and shout at the demon, go, 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 and in the end they'd go, oh, I can't be bothered with this, I'm going, and go somewhere else. They weren't amazed at the fact that a demon came out. What they were amazed is the way in which Jesus just spoke a word and demons flee. Be silent. Come out of him was all it took. Jesus speaks with authority and demonstrates his authority. And it's not an accident that Mark presents the casting out of a demon as the first miracle that Jesus performs in his gospel. It's not an accident at all. Mark wants us to understand and wants us to get that Jesus has come to destroy the power of darkness. Mark wants us to understand that Jesus' ministry involves waging war on these powers. Look at verse 24 where it says here, the, the demon says, have you come to destroy us? Mark wants us to understand that there is an ongoing battle here, not just between some isolated demonic power, not just between some one individual, but between a whole community, the whole realm of evil. What Mark's announcing here and proclaiming is that Jesus is launching a full-scale assault on disease, on decay, 
and on death. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. This is really good news because the same, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And as he healed the sick in the pages of Scripture, he heals the sick in our lives today. We're going to pray for some sick people later on. If you're sick right now, we believe the power of God is in this place. And if we want to step into everything that God would have for us as a church, this is one area we need to increasingly begin to step into. And I think in many ways, perhaps Emma's work that came earlier for us of just reminding us of some stuff, I, I wonder in many ways, actually, this is part of the reminding. You used to walk in this. It's time to walk in it again. We're going to pray for some sick people later on. It's good news because Jesus is in the house. Jesus is here and where he is, darkness trembles, darkness flees, sickness goes, death, disease, and decay is reversed because Jesus is alive and Jesus is here. And then Jesus in these first few verses, shows us his power. And then he gets to show us, and this is where I really want to just spend most of our time this morning, showing us his priorities. Let's read from verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Wow. At this moment, we begin to get right to the very heart of Jesus' priorities and therefore right to the heart of our priorities. Because if Mark's gospel is revealing more of Jesus, it's also revealing more of what it is to walk with Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, those who are in Christ. This gets beginning to get right to the heart of what it is to be a Christian. See, Jesus is is preaching and he's healing the sick. He's proclaiming and he's bringing the kingdom wherever he goes. And then in verse 38, he says, I want to go to the next town so I can preach there too. That's why I've come out. And verse 39 says he's going through the whole of his region where he lived. This is what he's about, filling the world up with his presence. And this is what we're partakers in. This is why we do what we do. This is why we're serious about launching more venues and planting more churches because God promised in Isaiah 55 verse 11 that his word would go out from his mouth and it would not return to him empty. It would accomplish what he purposed. And as the word goes out from town to town, spreading his presence, proclaiming the good news of who he is, as he goes from town to town, healing the sick and proclaiming the gospel, as people could repent and believe and follow him, this is what we're about to, going from town to town, from all the places where we are filling up the world with the presence and the power of God, pushing back darkness, proclaiming life, bringing joy, bringing liberty, bringing freedom, breaking the chains that hold people back in the name of Jesus. And our, our kind of struggle, our battle, is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's a reality at play here. 
And this is what it is to push back in the kingdom of darkness, to bring lights wherever we go. Jesus, the word, is filling up the world with his power and his presence. Jesus, the word, is bringing and recreating that which is sick. Jesus, the word, is bringing his power to restore, to strength and wholesomeness and beauty. Everything that's been disfigured, everything that's been marred, everything that's been broken is why we go. It's why we preach. It's why we proclaim. It's why we live as we live, that we might do the same and see the same because Jesus is on the throne. But in these verses, we also see another priority that is like foundational to all of this stuff. Like you can't go, yay, we'll have some of that without some of this. You can't build on anything and go, well, follow without this. See, as people hear Jesus, as they see Jesus, the response is overwhelming. Everyone wants a piece of him. Like literally everyone wants a piece of him. Verse 37, Simon Peter is, everyone is looking for you. What are you doing? He's got this moment. Think, just think this through for a moment. Incredible popularity. Like everyone knows about who Jesus is now. His fame has spread everywhere. Incredible productivity. He's doing some amazing things. Loads of people are hearing the gospel. Loads of people are being healed. Loads of people, whoa, amazing stuff's happening. He has an even more incredible opportunity. Everyone's looking for you. You don't even have to work very hard at this. Everyone's coming to you, Jesus. What an opportunity. And look what he does. What does he prioritize? Verse 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Wow. The busier Jesus gets, the more he prays. It's like the exact opposite of us. <laughs> like in every way. The busier we get, the more opportunity we get, the more productive we become, the more kind of like, look at all this great stuff. God, we've got any, wow. Like people are queuing down the road to get in here we're like, well, we'll put on more stuff. We'll do more stuff. Let's go. What an opportunity. The busier Jesus get, the more he prays. And so often for us, the busier we get, this is the thing that gets squeezed first of all. And more often than not, we justify it because look at this God-given opportunity that Jesus has given me. I've got all this going on and it's because I haven't chased it. Jesus has opened this door and so I need to now go and fill it. Wow. Like God's done this. I'm not chasing it. Like I'm, all this good stuff's coming to me because God's done it. So I've got to give myself to it. And we put a super spiritual veneer on it. God's opened this door so I need to be faithful in making it happen. Hey, listen, a sign that it really is a God-given opportunity is actually does it drive you to this? God's opened these doors so I'm going to pray some more. And spend some more time with him. It's not like, I'm, well, I'm praying just on the way because we're really busy. So I'm making the most of it. Like my commute, I'm packing it with prayer. I say do that as well. But that's not what he's talking about here. It didn't say Jesus on the way to all his busyness, he prayed some prayers. He says, the busier I get, the more I pray. Which gives us the absolute evidence of the priority and the primacy of prayer. He literally has, the opportunity before him is to literally change the world. And he still chooses this. We're so often busy trying to accomplish things, often really good things, great things, good things for the kingdom of God, that we miss this reality. Nothing is as important as this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
One thing is necessary, to sit at the Lord's feet and talk to him as he talks to you. That's all that's necessary, to sit at the Lord's feet and talk to him as he talks to you. That's the invitation. We heard it again. It came in earlier in one of those words that came. It's an invitation to talk to him as he talks to you. And we're not told here what Jesus prayed. Mark is not interested in that. He wants us to understand the centrality of prayer in the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, we know that we should pray. None of you are surprised by this. Like, oh, what? Really? No. Like, none of us are surprised. And most of us sitting here right now feeling guilty about it. Oh, pants. <laughs> we not just go back to singing. I felt good in that moment. And this is why it's really important to understand that there's not just an expectation of prayer revealed here. But there's an understanding of the purpose of prayer which stirs our soul. You see, Mark doesn't give the words that Jesus uses here. But reading these verses in the context of of chapter 1 and in the context of the whole of Mark's gospel, we get an idea of what's right at the heart of prayer. You see, when Mark does uh, record Jesus praying in Mark 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane, he does record what he says. And his first word is Father. It's actually Abba. It's even more intimate kind of papa, this sense of the intimacy of relationship with God. It's shockingly intimate. And when, Jesus, uh, when the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? He gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. How does it start? Oh, Father. Wow. The es- we know this stuff, so many of us, but we need to remind it again and again and again. The essence of prayer is not to see us through. <laughs> It's not, God, I need this, so help me through. It's not, I'm facing this stuff, so I need you to do this, this, this for me. I need you to strengthen me. Those things come. The essence of prayer is not even, God, I need forgiveness, although we need to do that. We need to repent. The essence of prayer is not a kind of, well, I'm not in a good place, God. I know this is the way. Please help me. No, right at the heart, the very essence of prayer is that it's fundamentally about reorientating my soul and my heart and my mind around the stunning reality that in Christ Jesus, the King of kings, the cosmic Lord of all the universe, the one from everlasting to everlasting, the one who holds the keys to life and death in his hands, the one who is and was and is to come, the one who is above all things, the one who holds all power and all authority, that one has become my father intimate absolute transcendent power has become gentled for me in the form of the perfect father son perfect father daughter relationship wow the fullness of the power and the authority and the majesty of God has been gentled towards me in the relationship of child to perfect parent. We need to go back to chapter 1, verse 11 for a moment. Jesus is baptized, and he hears the voice of his heavenly Father, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this is what Jesus goes back to again and again and again when he prays. It's what he goes back to every single day. It's why he removes himself, not because he's praying, Lord, help me get through today. Not because he's praying, Lord, he doesn't need forgiveness. He's perfect. Not because of anything other than this. Lord, remind me again of who I am, that you're my father and I am your son. And he goes back to it every day because he's a human being just like us and he needs reminding just like we do to sear our soul with it. It's why he gets away because this is 
is the engine room of his life. This joy of his sonship is the thing that pushes him forward, pulls him along, encourages his soul, strengthens his whole soul. It's, It's the thing that gives him joy in his ministry. It's the thing that gives him power in his ministry. It's also the thing that gives him purpose in his ministry that many other people would have the same fatherly relationship with God as sons and daughters. And it's the same thing that pushes us forward too. You see, when you know this, and you experience the reality of God as your father, you want other people to have the same as you do. And if you don't experience the reality of God as a perfect heavenly father, you're gonna find it very difficult inviting other people into this thing called Christianity. Because you're trying to explain why it's a good thing. But if you know why it's a good thing, because you know the power of the universe, God is your father who loves you and delights in you and rejoices over you with singing. You know that intimacy, that incredible, that's enough for me. I don't need anything else. Wow, God, me. Telling other people about it, you've got something to share. You've got some experience. And prayer was the very foundation of Jesus's life and Let's just be really clear. The purpose of prayer is not to get things from God. It's to get God. And when you understand this, confident that God's not just your boss, but he's also your father, wow, it changes everything. When you know the unconditional fatherly love of God through prayer, you don't need human power anymore. You don't need human approval anymore. You don't need human comfort anymore or or control anymore. You don't need any of those things. You can handle anything this world has to throw at you because you're now free, free to pour yourself out just like Jesus did in word and deed, free to pour yourself out by proclaiming the gospel, even when, especially when it's embarrassing and difficult because you're not looking for the affirmation of man. You've already received all the affirmation your heart could ever need or ever contain in God. And so who cares when anybody else things, it frees you to proclaim the gospel. And it frees you to love people indeed, because actually it's difficult to love other people. But when you've received something of the fullness of the joy of having a heavenly father, whoa, you can pour yourself out in sacrificial love. You can pour yourself out and go, do you know what? People might take things from me. They might take the advantage of me they might do trample all over me this that and the other but the one thing that really matters I have the delight of the father and that is never going to be removed from me see this is so important it's so central it's the invitation that that Emma brought earlier that came come walk with me again Come walk with me again. Come be with me again. Everything else, yeah, it's, it's nice and yeah, it's okay and yeah, it's good sometimes. This is the one thing necessary. And it's the one thing that when you get, doesn't matter about anything else. Doesn't matter about anything else. Because I've got this. I've got this. And if you're like, well, I'm not sure that's such a big deal. You've missed it. And if I was preaching last week, I'd go, turn around. <laughs> You've missed it. What could, you, what could possibly be greater? What could possibly be more beneficial? What could possibly be more advantageous to you? 
What could possibly be more hope-inducing than knowing as your father, the creator of the universe? (laughs) Wow. And Jesus pours himself out with sacrificial love to meet the needs of the world because he knows this. He sees and he knows his father. And you know what's really challenging to us? He calls us to do exactly the same. Let's look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Wow. Like leprosy in those days was, was not just a disease. All right? It was like a total condition. It was a physical condition. His body, the leper's body was literally falling apart. It was also a, a social condition. Lepers were pariahs, like no one wanted anything to do and you stayed away from them because they were dirty, they were unclean. Whoa, keep away. They literally had to live outside the city walls. It was also a spiritual condition. You see, lepers were thought to be cursed by God. They were those who'd been excluded from worship, therefore they're excluded from the presence of God. It was, a, it was a total condition. It was absolutely terrible. But look what Jesus does. Verse 41, he stretches out his hand and touches him. Wow. Jesus doesn't need to touch him. Jesus has just healed a whole bunch of people just by his words. He doesn't need to go anywhere near this leper. He can just say, be clean and you're done. No, he he touches him. He chooses to touch him. Because the man's body, not because the man's body needed to be touched, but because his soul needed to be touched. And out of love, Jesus pours himself out for all the man's needs. Wow. What kind of church could we be if we embodied this fully? Like what could Jesus do in us and through us if we walked like this? If we loved people and touched people when we don't need to? Like not in a weird way. But what kind of body could we, what kind of kingdom advance could we see if this was what we were like? And Jesus is our example for us. He's our model. In Jesus we see things, virtues, In Jesus that we have never seen anywhere else combined. We see tenderness without weakness. We see strength without any any sense of harshness. We see humility without any sense of uncertainty. We see unbending convictions and yet complete and utter approachability. We see power without any kind of insecurity. We see passion without any level of prejudice. We see total integrity without any kind of rigid standoffishness. What would it look like for us to love like Jesus? Because Mark says, follow him. And actually Mark says, be like him. Do what he does. Whoa. I know myself. Like I have some of those tendencies, the good ones, and an awful lot of the not so good ones. 
I like have a heart that really wants to be full of compassion towards other people, and then I meet other people. <laughs> I, 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 I long for this stuff and simultaneously think, yeah, someone else will do it. And yet, Jesus, Mark says, you're to be like him. This is what it is to follow him. This is what it is to be a believer. This is what it is to be a Christian. Become like him. Wow. How on earth do you become like that? Well, this story actually shows us how. So look at what the leper does. <laughs> the leper comes to Jesus. He comes and he approaches Jesus with humility and a measure of boldness. He comes in prayer. He's imploring and kneeling before Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. He acknowledges that Jesus has the right to refuse him. He completely recognizes that Jesus is both simultaneously the only one who can make him clean and actually he could say no. And yet he still comes and he comes. He says, listen, Jesus, I'm throwing you, I'm throwing myself on your mercy. You do what you see fit, but if you're willing, please make me clean. He doesn't come with a list of demands. Jesus, I need you to do this, 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 and this, please. He doesn't come with a, okay, God, if you want me to follow you, then it's going to cost you this. You need to do this and this. No, he comes with just a humble, clean me. And it's really quite remarkable what the leper does in coming to Jesus like that. But it's even more amazing what Jesus does. You see, there are all sorts of rules and regulations for dealing with things and, and people that were considered unclean in the Old Testament. And a leper definitely fits into that category. It's why you didn't touch certain things that were unclean or people, because they would make you unclean. And it would, you, if you did, you'd need to wash yourself according to a whole ritual, a whole load of stuff. And lepers were told how to try and make themselves presentable to God. They had to do a long list of stuff. But Jesus touches him. Jesus in that moment says, listen, the law says you're going to make me unclean, but I am cleanliness. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you think it is in your life. I don't care what has been done to you. I don't care how inadequate you feel, how ashamed you are, how dirty and broken you think you are. I, don't, I just don't care what you have done. If you come to me, you will be made clean. And it doesn't matter how stained you are. It doesn't matter how tainted you are. It doesn't matter how damaged you are. It doesn't matter what other people would say of you or how they have treated you. I am cleanliness itself. And if you come to me, I will make you clean. You and I are the leper. Wow. <laughs> you see, if Jesus, if Jesus were just a religious teacher, in this moment, he would give us some advice on how to make ourselves clean. But Jesus ain't no religious teacher. He says, through me, you can be clean. Through me, you can come into the presence of God. Through me, anybody can come fully into the presence of God. And even more remarkably, through me, the fullness of God can come and be in you. How can Jesus make that kind of claim? Well, look what happens next. Jesus says to the leper, don't go and tell anybody what I did. Go to the priest. Go and prove. I'm not, I'm, Jesus isn't coming to abolish the law. He's come to fulfill the law. And instead, of course, the leper does exactly what we would do. He goes and tells everybody, look at this. <laughs> and as a result, the leper and Jesus have changed places. Look at verse 45. Jesus and the leper have changed places. 
It was the leper who was on the outside. It was the leper who was in the lonely place. And Jesus was right at the heart of the city, surrounded by everybody. It was the leper who used to have to be in the lonely places, an outcast. But now he's in the city, surrounded by people. And it's Jesus who used to be able to stay in the city, who now has to go out into the lonely places. Wow. Right here, we have this stunning picture of the incredible reality of the gospel because we have a picture here of what happens at the end of Jesus' life because at the end of Jesus' life, he's crucified outside of the gate. He's crucified by the rubbish tip. He's crucified in the place where the outcasts had to go. He is taken out to the place of the lepers where he becomes a pariah, where he becomes unclean and he is excluded so that you and I can be taken in. God made him sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Whoa! He paid our penalty. Our uncleanliness now goes to him so that his cleanliness comes to us. So that we might be clean forever. We're the leper. And Jesus took our place and swat with us so that you and I are now inside You and I are now clean. You and I now know the fullness of the joy of being sons and daughters of the pure, holy, powerful, awesome God. Oh, this is the answer to everything. This is the key to everything. Amy, if you can come back. Do you want the kind of prayer life that Jesus had? Do you want to know that God is not just your boss, he's your loving father? How? Jesus has done it for us. Do you want to have a ministry that's rich in word and rich in deed, that's driven by love and compassion? This is the thing that will fill you with compassion. This is the thing that will motivate you. This is the thing that will drive I was a leper and then Jesus came. Father, right now, would you give us a sense of your reality? Right now, Lord, would you just undo hearts again at your awesome power, but also your incredible purpose? Jesus, we recognize that this gospel is good news because we were once the leper, but you exchanged your righteousness for our filth. You exchanged your cleanliness for our dirt. You exchanged your glory for our mess that we might be forgiven, free, clean, no longer facing guilt, no longer facing shame. Wow, Jesus.